You are listening to another Always Moto production. The Always Moto Podcast with your host, David Hogan. We talk moto events from around the world. All the injuries, all the training ins and outs, the bikes, parts and gear inspections. The results, we interview your favourite riders. It's the Always Moto Podcast. We occasionally have some coarse language and the odd stuff up along the way. If you don't like it or you don't agree with us, turn it off right now. I'd like to remind you that he is not a doctor. That's right, Moto fans. I'm not a doctor, but I am a physiotherapist, and this is episode 93 of the Always Moto podcast. This podcast is proudly presented by Liat Moto Australia. As always, I'm your host, David Hogan, a physiotherapist from Down Under. That's right, we are from Australia. This is the Always Moto Podcast. We are in the dips of depths dips depths of the clinic, throwing strapping tape anywhere it will stick. As always on the show, we'll be going through all things moto, but particularly those injuries in our sport because hashtag injuries are a part of moto. This week's show, we'll review everything that happened in San Francisco, the results, the injuries, and of course, the mud. It was everywhere. The emergency department updates. It was a quiet list this week after a mud race. The mud has slowed the speeds down, makes things a little less precarious for the injuries so there wasn't very many things to talk about there but we'll show you what's updated on that list as well we have a few check-ins this week because it was a quite quite a week with the injury side of things we've caught up with a few uh, riders who have had injuries and are on the recovery path so we got a few check-ins we've got aaron tanti bobby piazza and travis olander to check in with now, hey, Moto fans, this episode is brought to you by Liat Moto Australia, the ultimate gear and protection solution for riders seeking top-notch safety and style. From head to toe, Liat Moto has you covered with innovative helmets, goggles, body armor, and more. Ride with confidence knowing you're backed by gear designed by riders for riders. Head over to liat.com.au and gear up for your next ride. Now, what about your foot pegs on your motorcycles? Have you ever thought about those things very often lately? Maybe you need some foot pegs that are wide, strong, and functional. You need pivot pegs, Um, super wide pegs with a pivoting action that help you move around on the bike that will reduce the wear of your boots and improve your leg positions throughout your ride. Get some pivot pegs now. Pivot pegs with a Z, so that's pivotpegs.com. Find yours over there. Competitive Edge Performance, are you looking to take your performance to the next level? Competitive Edge Performance is a go-to strength and conditioning program, sports nutrition, and on-bike coaching schools for athletes of all levels. Whether you're just starting out or a seasoned pro, they have you covered, offering in-person sessions and top-notch online programs that are accessible anywhere, anytime through their awesome training app. Join Competitive Edge Performance today, people. Always Moto Podcast listeners, you can get a 50% discount off your first month if you use the code COMPEDGECOACH on their training app, and that's C-O-M-P-E-D-G-E-C-O-A-C-H, all in capital letters. Don't forget Slant Board, Guy. I'm continuing to use that Slant Board in my gym every single morning. It's a very simple piece of equipment that is helping me build my legs, my stability, and reduce that knee pain. It's a super easy piece of equipment to use and you should have one in your gym and you can get one and get a 10% discount using the code AlwaysMoto in lowercase at checkout because you're a podcast listener here with AlwaysMoto. 
Endurance recovery boots, much like the slant board, I use them quite regularly. You've got to get your training in, and to get that training in, you've got to be recovered. So you need to use those endurance recovery boots to enhance your recovery. Use the code ALWAYSMOTO in lowercase at checkout to save with endurance recovery boots. And don't forget Tech 167 3D printing. They make cool stuff for your bike. Get something to help you out, whether it's a tool, a little funnel that screws in. Um, they've got just some cool random stuff and they have codes as well um, but you just need to let them know when you message them that you're a listener to always moto and they'll ch- help you out at checkout as always i need your support as well we're trying to get to some races here in the u.s this year in 2024 um, so more than we did last year so we're trying to build that up we need your support we're trying to sell our always moto t-shirts we've got them available they are 25 dollars plus post and handling um Show your support of the podcast and get a t-shirt and rock it at the races. Email us at info at alwaysmoto.com. Put t-shirt order in the subject line and we'll get in touch about payment via PayPal. Now, speaking of PayPal, maybe you are too sexy for that shirt and you don't need that shirt from Always Moto, but maybe you could just make a podcast donation via that PayPal app. Now, to do so, you can jump into our show notes or the bio on our socials. We've got all the links available there to all our supporters and, most importantly, that donation point on PayPal. Get in there, use those links, and that will help us out and support the supporters of the show and keep this show on the road. All right, enough of this intro talk. Let's jump into this show. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Bobby Piazza, and you're listening to Always Moto Podcast. All right, guys and girls, welcome into the Always Moto podcast. Thanks for listening. It's brought to you by Lee at Moto Australia. And don't forget those pivot pegs as well. Check them out over there at pivotpegs.com. Now, let's talk about San Francisco. Round two of the Always, of the Always, round two of the AMA Super Motocross Series kicked off there this past weekend. It was an absolute mud fest from go to woe. It didn't look good all day. The weather was not promising there in San Francisco. Unfortunately, it meant for an event that was maybe maybe not as entertaining for some people. It was probably entertaining for some with laughing about all the different crashes that were occurring throughout the day. There was some pretty impressive over-the-bar moments as well as people getting bogged, people getting stuck and... and uh, Mookie being one that had to have some fan assistance, it seems, um, to get loose from a tough block. It was a bit of just an all-round mud show. Nothing super-duper impressive, nothing super-duper problematic, no major injuries, thankfully. Mud usually does that, um, but it's something that I personally am not taking away heaps from the results side of things. I don't care that um, certain people won or that they you know, did poorly. Um, not worried that the red plates have changed hands either. That's all part of these early season races in general. But to anyone that's saying that, you know, this is going to set up for the season, that's they're, they're kidding themselves. These first two rounds are always difficult to see the, the patterns yet because they haven't had enough rounds for those things to emerge. And throw in that mud round there in San Francisco this past weekend and you just, you know, you're making shit up at that point. So it was an interesting thing on some degree to watch but it got so bad that the racing couldn't be you know entertaining or enjoyable from the fans point of view either obviously the crowd was a bit down from the weather side of things the ones that were there well done uh, for sticking it out if you stayed the whole night show that's amazing um, you're probably ringing wet you're probably still trying to sit in front of a heater or something and a, and a fan to dry out at this point um, but if you if you sat through it all you're a true fan of moto 
As for the results, look, it was Jordan Smith in the 250 class that got the win and got the red plate. Um, in the 450s, it was Chase Sexton on that Red Bull KTM that made the first win for him on that new team. Um, he had a stupidly well-timed hole shot. Um, he managed to pick out that gate drop like nothing else and just pulled it off from the big, very beginning. Surprisingly, even with the massive advantage he got from the jump off the gate, about partway down the straight, it seemed like he came back to the field because he seemed to hit like a deep or a slick spot and lost a lot of drive. Kenny Roxon actually managed to get in front of him at that point, which was kind of cool for the Kenny, but then managed to stand on his rear brake whilst trying to change a t- like rip a tear off and managed to stall out that Suzuki and had to <laughs> restart it. Unfortunately, kickstart Kenny was in action there in the main event, which then gave that lead back to Chase Sexton. So look, everything from then on after those gate drops, basically if you got a good start, you're in the, in the business. If you hole shotted, you pretty much won the event. So everybody else from there on, it was survival mode. Now, that's what I'm saying about the results. You can't really read too much into them. People saying that um, Tomac is back because he got on the podium. Yeah, he got a good, reasonably good start um, and didn't have to do too much. I've noticed with Tomac, and I want to see some more closer footage, and it's hard to see because you can't obviously pick out the, f- the camera angles that you're always seeing on the, on the broadcast, but I don't feel like he's foot positioning on his left side, which was the Achilles that he tore. I don't feel that foot positioning is quite the same and quite as comfortable as it has been in seasons past. Maybe it's just the camera angles I'm seeing and the parts of the track that I'm seeing it, but I want to see some other angles of that to see if he's actually got the same range of motion, same confidence, same positioning that he would have previously because I feel like it's just a little bit further forward on the foot. He's not right up on the toes, balls of the foot area. I feel he's just back of that a bit further to try and maybe maybe he's not comfortable, maybe he's not confident, maybe he's you know compensating for a little bit of a lack of range of motion or a lack of strength or just the confidence aspect. He doesn't want to put his foot that far you know, onto the toes and drop his heel so far and end up in that similar position that he obviously tore that Achilles in under load um, from last year in Denver. So interesting to watch that one play out a bit further because I'm just seeing it and like I said, I haven't seen enough angles to just really solidify that viewpoint that I've got. It's a little theory that I've been sort of noticing, but I need more footage. So hopefully we can see that over the course of the next few rounds and see if that is the case. Now, interesting note with the red plate holders, obviously both of them lost their red plates from round one to round two. So RJ Hampshire and Jet Lawrence are now going to be back on their other colored number plates Jordan Smith has got it for the 250s Chase Sexton's got it for the 450s but the interesting thing was that both red plate holders got lapped in their main events which is probably unheard of one for the red plate holder to get lapped obviously it happens when there's an injury a la Eli Tomac in Denver the previous year but the other side of that is that both of them happened in the one night. That's probably never happened before. I'd have to check out that a bit further, but it seems like that wouldn't happen too often, if ever. So, yeah, a bit of an interesting one there with the red plate holders. All right, now, in terms of the mud race, now, is it is it luck that you ride well? Is it that you're a good mud rider? Let's take Aaron Plessinger, for example. Aaron Plessinger loves the mud. You'll see all those memes go around on social media. He's there. He's the guy behind the tree rubbing his hands together. 
He's the one that he saw the forecast and he's the one that's keen, you know. Yeah, he looked good in the heat race. Yes, he was the fastest qualifier. But at some point, there is such a luck element from my point of view. There is such a luck element to a mud race that comes with a start and a good first corner to a first lap. If you don't get any of those three, first f- good start, first good first corner, good first lap, you can pretty much kiss your ass goodbye in terms of a good result in a mud race. If you're anywhere further back than fifth, again, kiss your ass goodbye. It's not going to happen. Aaron Plessinger had a good heat race. He managed to find out that he, you know, he got caught at the very end um, with a few mistakes, and I think maybe something might have been going on with his bike there, whether he lost. The, lost the brake, overheated the clutch, whether he just got stuck in a couple of ruts and that overheated the bike and he tried to, you know, limp it to the end. Something happened in that heat race because he was going really well. He actually did ride the whoops at an impressive pace in that heat race. He was one of the only guys that I saw attempting to, now don't get me wrong on the definition here, but he was attempting to blitz the whoops, not like you would in a dry, as in staying on top of them, but he wasn't going all the way to the bottom and rolling them. He was actually, you know, almost like a BMX rider, manualing them. He was getting that back wheel into them, the front wheel over them, and he was, there was a lot of legs going into that, um, and he was using his height to his advantage. That's the one time that Ricky Carmichael does actually say that the point about the legs being longer levers and helping through the whoops actually came to, the, you know, <laughs> to, to reality. Every other time, I don't really think it's you know necessarily thing. I think it's just Ricky's a bit jealous of people with longer legs. Um, but yeah, he rode really well. But like I said, if you go back to those points, the main event, no start, not a good first corner, not a good first lap, nowhere to be seen in the results. He rode through, he got fifth overall, um, but that's not what Aaron Plessinger was probably expecting or thinking he could do in those conditions in San Francisco. So... I think there's a massive element of these races to luck. And no matter what you are, who you are, how good your mud skills are, how many times you practice during the week, like Club MX guys apparently did, there's still an element of luck in that particular event. And whether you got splashed in the face, you know, going down the main, the first start straight or not, and your goggles are fried. All these things, just pure luck. You can't really do much with it. You, you know, they always say, oh, I put myself in that position. I could have got a better start and been out of it. Yeah, you could have, but you didn't. And to some degree, that's luck. So, you know, let's let's take that and move on. Now, I've been chatting to um, some of the team uh, personnel this week to try and get a bit of a feel for what they're going through this week since the event um, and some other things, key things that happened on their bikes throughout the mud race in terms of prep that went on. Now... I'm sure all of these teams are hoping that they could just leave everything that happened at that event at that event, including all the mud on their bikes, and hopefully they did before they got them and moved them on. But we're speaking with the team manager for the 250 side of things at Star Racing Yamaha there, Jensen Hendler, uh, about the cleanup efforts that they're having to go through and how much of these parts on these bikes would be able to be salvaged, reused. And the long and the short of it is not many. Essentially, they are going to rebuild that bike from ground up. They're going to strip those bikes all the way back to the frame, clean the frame and swing arm by hand and rebuild the bikes from there. Now, there will be some small components that will be able to be reused, but a lot of the parts 
are being, you know, replaced, thrown away essentially. Um, clutches, you know, pistons, all those sorts of things are getting completely rebuilt. Their engines. Now, obviously the Star guys are on a bit of a different plan with from other teams, but they rotate their engines at a certain interval and they send those engines back to their base there at the goat farm and have them rebuilt by their in-house engine builders. But after this mud race, all those engines are just sent straight back to the shop. They aren't going to be in rotation for a while whilst they get completely rebuilt, recleaned, everything, cases polished up, all that sort of stuff. So those engines, toast. They've had to go to the next engine on the truck and pop it into the bike. So that's the engine side of things. But all those wheels frames um you know all the brake lines all that sort of stuff it's all got to be you know cleaned up polished back to back to as best it can every seal is basically being replaced on that bike every bearing is basically being replaced on that bike there's not much that's going to be reused on that thing by the time it gets to round three in san diego so interesting thing now he did also say that basically the mechanics once they cleaned the bikes on saturday night they all got on a plane, a red eye, and went straight to um, Southern California there. They got went straight to the Yamaha facility there at Cyprus and continued the cleanup effort. So basically the, they put the stuff on the truck. Truck drove down. It's a six, seven-hour drive from there to, um, to their base. Those guys would have gone straight to the airport. Flown, flown down, got out, got to the, got to the base, maybe had a couple of hours of sleep, but basically went straight there. Um, so they would have pretty much met the truck there. By the time they went to the airport, spent the hour or two beforehand getting into the plane, the hour or two flight down, the hour or so getting out of the airport um, and to the venue, they would have pretty much got there just as the truck arrived or just before and started cleaning up and working. So they've been pulling some pretty big hours this week, those those guys on that on all the teams, but that's the, the information I got from the Star guys about how they are managing this week. So the bikes will be obviously the bikes will be spick and span come round three, but you won't see that story of what they went through to get there. You might see a little bit of it um, on the broadcast if they cover that sort of things. They might talk about it, but yeah, these guys are living it. There's a lot of hours this week being burnt by a lot of guys on a lot of teams to get these bikes in some sort of race shape for round three. Now, on, on the bike prep for the mud, um, we actually checked in. We met Ty at Club MX Pits in World Supercross in Melbourne. Ty's an Aussie bloke that's over there working with the Club MX team, doing some of their um, maintenance, mechanic work, um, suspension work, all those sorts of things. He is uh, working with the team this year. His family's relocated over there, so he's doing some pretty cool sh- stuff with uh, Club MX. But we checked in with him. He was at the race. I asked if he was dry and if his undies had dried out yet, and he he's confirmed that he was all good by that point. When I was speaking to him on, I think it was Sunday afternoon, his time, Monday, our time um, in Australia, here and but i was asking him about because i was watching the coverage and seeing guys still using their whole shot devices and i thought it was a bit of a crazy idea because they weren't getting enough speed into the first corner and obviously enough braking pressure to you know release the whole shot button and even if they went around the first corner and hit the first jump they weren't jumping off the jump so again they weren't compressing the forks enough to then potentially have it come off so a lot of these guys i saw them they sort of seemed like their whole shot devices were stuck down for a fair bit of the first lap is sometimes a bit further before they actually got it released and i thought that was a bit of a dangerous scenario so i wanted to see if the teams actually made any adjustments to those sorts of things before the race and 
Ty tells me that the club guys do. They actually have a couple of settings. They have the setting, their stock setting, where they would run it, you know, normal conditions, you know, dry conditions, great start, super cross venue. They've got a setting. It's a certain distance down. That's what they use. But they also then have one for a hard slash, slash slick track, which is a bit higher. And then they also have a mud version, which is potentially higher again, depending on the circumstances that they're facing at the track. Now, obviously, they can remount these buttons um, willy-nilly onto these you know, spare fork guards that they have and make adjustments as they need. But they, he did confirm that they had a higher setting to try and make it so that, one, the bike's not pulled down as far and also to make sure it will release when they do get to that first corner and not have it stuck down because that is a dangerous scenario. Those whole shot buttons whilst useful, are also just as unuseful in a scenario where they don't release. So, yeah, a bit of an interesting one there. I think that might be something that those privateer guys might learn from. If they're listening, they should be readjusting or having a second fork guard available that they can bolt on that has a much higher whole shot device setting if they want to continue to use that. But you saw a few. If you watch the coverage, guys and girls out there, you, you would have watched the coverage if you're listening to this. Go back and watch some of the starts and see how some of the guys completely spin sideways on the grates even. The grates being so wet, um, you know, they obviously haven't got a good enough start map for a mud wet grill that they still spun sideways as they went to take off. So, you know, as much as they say the grates have provided such a grippy surface to take off from, well, not when they're wet, apparently. So that is the whole shot debacle. Now, the other thing that I was bringing up, and I had a bit of a poll on Twitter about this, was the lack of handguards in use. Now, for me, as an off-road guy, I love handguards. Handguards are my thing. I use Barkbusters. They're my brand, my go-to. Um, if anyone needs them, you know, you should be looking at Barkbuster handguards. They've got all different styles, um, motocross versions, a couple of different versions for motocross, a couple of different versions for bush bashing guys, um, you know, adventure bikes, all that sort of stuff. They got them, right? But check them out, Barkbusters. Um, you'll find them there. But not many of the teams were running them, and I found that quite bizarre. Anything you can do to keep your gloves dry, mud free and even your handle grip free of mud when you drop it because the bar like the um, handguard will protect it to some degree from getting off straight onto the handle grip is a win-win in my situation in my scenario here that i'm talking about now some guys used them one such rider that ty confirmed was garrett marchbanks he was using them but one rider on that team phil nicoletti was not and apparently, according to Ty, when he was rec- when he asked um, top Phil if he was using handguards or not, the response from Phil Nicoletti was that handguards are for pussies. So typical sort of Phil response there. If anyone's heard any of Phil's interviews, that's a typical sort of scenario for him. But just an interesting point of view. Like that would be the one scenario where I think everybody should and be on the same page about trying to protect the hand the gripping ability of the hand on the handlebar by removing the water splash chance, the mud roost splash chance, you know, to try and keep those grips dry, clean as best you can. Um, Surprised that not more of them were out there. And I'm actually surprised that they're not more in use generally just as a hand protection aspect from, from roost so that you don't get a, you know, broken knuckle, broken hand bone from the roost that these 450s and 250s can throw. Um, I'm surprised that doesn't happen more often. But, yeah, look, it's not something that they're in fashion in those sorts of things. Nobody's a Travis Pastrana style where they just run 24-7. I think more people should, but they don't. So, 
Yeah, it was good, interesting chat there with Ty uh, about those couple of bits of the the Club MX bikes and what they did and didn't do for their prep there for the mud. Now, that Twitter poll, by the way, 88% of you agreed that they should be using more handguards. So I'm talking to the, you know, preaching to the converted, as they say. All right, some interesting things. Um, From the opening two rounds of the Supercross series so far, um, in the 450 side of things, there's been some interesting names to not only not make the main event, a la Hunter Lawrence at round one, but some bigger names. Now, not massive names. These are all sort of that privateer level guy, but they're guys that you've heard of in the main events in the past, but they haven't even managed to qualify for the night show. So that fast 40, they haven't managed to make it in in the 450 class. Now, at round one, these are the interesting names that didn't make it. Lane Shaw, Jace Kessler, John Short. Now, John Short is a fill-in on that factory beater. He didn't make the night program. Joan Cross, Chris Howe, Bubba Pauly. We've spoken to Bubba, obviously, a fair bit. Um, maybe his lack of a thumb there didn't help him at round one, but he managed to get into round two. But, yeah, Bubba Pauly's on that list. Scott Meshi, Hunter Cross, Scotty Winnerstrom. These are guys that are usually easily into that night program, but they didn't manage to make it at round one at a Anaheim one. At round two, obviously things are a bit different, right? The mud, they cancelled some sessions, so there's not the same ability to learn the track. Maybe some of these guys were thinking that they'd have a second chance on track to get a better time. They didn't, um, so they missed out. But some interesting names here, Jerry Robin, Justin Hill, Devin Simonson, and Anthony Rodriguez. These guys didn't make the night show at San Francisco. So it will be interesting to see who of these guys, if any of them, are in that same boat at round three in San Diego this weekend. But it's not. It's obviously showing that this 450 class is quite full with talented guys and to make this top 40 for the night show is no easy task. And if you do make it, you should be super proud of the efforts that you've put together to get to that point. Um, so, yeah, well done to those people that have made it. Now, somebody who did make it is our Aussie boy, Joel Whiteman, he managed to get, he didn't qualify at round one, but he managed to get it into the top 40, was in the night show at San Fran. Maybe he wishes he didn't because of the cleanup he's probably going through this week, but he put it into an AMA night show. So that's pretty cool for Joel Whiteman, the Aussie boy, Aussie boy running the privateer there. Um, so yeah, all well done to Joel for that one, but let's hope that he gets a, gets it in on the dry rounds here for round three and round four. All right, let's... Um, Let's shift gears here. We've got some fantasy talk. Now, like we talked about on previous shows, the Pulp MX Fantasy Show is our group, our Always Moto Fantasy League group is not the same. Obviously, we're not able to play that Pulp game this year. But we've got two games going instead that we've got leagues happening on. We've got our bootleg league that is happening on the side. It's a Pulp MX variant. Um, Our bootleg league is well and truly in action. And it is supported by Coastal Motorcycle Centre and Helltech Australia. Those guys are, were on board last year. They have mentioned that they are on board this year. Um, and Coastal is going to provide some, uh, you know, in-store credits for some for the winners in this bootleg league. We'll sort out something in that Rocky Mountain League as well, but we'll get to that in a sec. And Helltech, they haven't quite got that helmet sensor together yet, but... They're getting closer from what we've been talking about. Um, they're still when they when they come through, they're going to provide last year's um, player um, 
winner a prize on that and they're also going to do something for this year's um, winners as well. So we'll, we look forward to seeing what Helltech's able to do at that point, but we'll um, bring more information out once we have that one, once they're ready to actually get that product out, product out to market. But So in our bootleg league, um, our leader so far is Dobson110. Um, he's out with a good lead, actually. He's managed to have two solid rounds, unlike myself, who had an absolute shocker at round one. Um, missing Hunter Lawrence, missing out on Dylan Walsh because I didn't change him out. I didn't realize he was injured. Um, so I had an absolute shock at round two. I got second at round two, uh, but my first one has left me down in seventh. Now, Dobson's leading. Jonesy, 79, is bringing up second. And then whereas if there's a bunch of people there um, that are all sort of tightly there bringing in the rest of the league. So our league there, we've got a few people playing this one. Um, obviously, things have changed. We used to have over 100 players in the league when we have the Pulp and Mix Fantasy. We're down on numbers in that one at this stage. We've got about 40 players across all – or 40, 50 players across all the two leagues. So there's a few double-ups in that. But we've got a reasonable amount of players still. Um, if you want to still join into the Rocky Mountain League, you can. You can do that at any point. Uh, if you want to jump into the bootleg one, you can. You'll just be behind in terms of points because we, we, we've got a couple of drop rounds, but um, we're not doing any more from that point. So you'll miss out on those couple that have so, happened so far. But feel free to join in if you want to. You just need to get in touch. DM me on Instagram and we can then link you into the group chat to get you in touch with our mastermind that's behind the bootleg, um, Lachlan. He's actually, we're going to get him on the podcast here very soon. We just haven't been able to I haven't. I've been a slack ass. I haven't been able to tee up this time. I've been running, having a storm tonight. I don't have any internet. We, um, we haven't been able to link up with some other things. Um, so I've been recording this because I don't actually need to use the net to record it. And we'll try and get it out as soon as we can. So once you're obviously listening, I managed to get it out. Um, but yeah, so we can get you in touch with Lachlan there, which will be awesome. Now the Rocky Mountain League, like I said, you can join at any time. You've just got to search Always Moto and then they use the password Lee at Moto, all in capital, uh, all in lowercase there to get yourself into that one. You can join any time. Now leading that one out is Levi Lane. He's got a reasonable lead. Thomas123 is in second. And Aaron234, our man from Full Noise, uh, he's bringing in the third place podium position. So nice work, Aaron. Um, but yes, I'm having a shocker in Rocky Mountain. I hate that league, to be honest. I don't like that game, but I'm in it. I'm coming in dead second, second to dead last, I think it is. So yes, look, we're, we're, we're working on the fantasy side of things. But look, thanks to Coastal Motorcycle Centre um, and Helltech Australia for being a part of these fantasy things in 2024. All right, let's take a break. We're going to be back with the emergency department. Hey guys and girls, I'm Gage Linville and you're listening to the Always Moto Podcast. All right, guys and girls, we are back. This is going to be a fairly short section here on the emergency department, but we're going to jump into it just here in a second. I'm going to run through all those little things that have happened um, and give you some updates on the riders and the injuries in the AMA Super Promote across 2024. The emergency department, all the injuries, all the gory details and when they'll be back on track. It's the list you really don't want to be on. You do not want to be on this list. I, tell it, I say it every week, but they still join the list. Now, fortunately, as much as San Francisco was an absolute mud fest and a bit of a shit show, as we said earlier, the mud slows them down. They can't jump the rhythms. They, when they do fall off, they're usually at lower speeds. When they fall off, they're on a slippery, soft surface, so they slide. They don't dig in. All this equates to less injuries. Now, we have some bumps and bruises from the round, 
But there's nothing actually really worth reporting here as an injury that's causing someone to be out from San Francisco, at least at this point in time. Obviously, we don't always get the information until later in the week, but at this point, everyone's racing that was racing last week is racing this week in San Diego. So that's an awesome thing about the mud. Glass half full situation. Now, the one rider that we'll mention here, Kyle Chisholm, he, had, he did hit the wall in San Francisco. He managed to get, get loose, ended up hitting the wall. Um, thought there was going to be more to that one, but he has managed to put up a, an update on his social media. He is obviously sore, but he is racing San Diego. So that means that's good news from Kyle Chisholm and the HEP Suzuki team there. So, But that's it. That's the list. Now, things to note. So, obviously, there's none, nobody out from San Fran like we'd normally do in that section. But some things to note. Now, we've got the Aaron Tanty interview coming up here after this section. But Aaron has confirmed that he is back in Australia. He's had surgery on his shoulder. He just had a bone fracture to the glenoid, uh, which is a component of the shoulder blade shoulder complex. Um, he's expected to be about a six-week off the bike period um, and he said that he's aiming for somewhere after Daytona to be back in the States and back on that Team PRMX Partzilla racing bike. So interesting to see how that goes. He's obviously got a little bit of a ways to go yet. It's early days um, and you'll hear more about that in our interview with Aaron coming up uh, but it's worth noting here in the emergency department. Now in terms of making returns, you'll hear this one as well later in the emergency department from Travis Olander. We're not sure yet. He thinks he might be racing San Diego. I think he will from the information that I spoke with him about before and after our interviews. But it's a wait and see at this stage. It's obviously early in the week uh, or midweek by the time you're probably hearing this, mid to end week. He's still making those decisions. So you're going to have to stay up to date with our social pages to see if those things come, if those guys are, if, if Travis is back for San Diego or not. Um, and we'll update anything else that we find out along the way on those social pages. So make sure you're following in the Instagram, the Twitters, um, the TikToks even for Always Moto. Just search Always Moto, follow and subscribe. All right, let's. Um, like I said, very short emergency department this week. I'm sure if it's a dry race in San Diego, that at least will be a bit bigger. Um, let's hope not, but that that was, is likely the case. Um, so we'll probably have a bit more to talk about next week. Now let's let's head into our next section. We're going to take a quick break, but we're going to come back with our three interviews. We're going to go Aaron Tanti, we're going to go Bobby Piazza, and then we're going to finish with Travis Olanda, and we'll be back to wrap it all up. So stick around. There's plenty more to come on the Always Moto Podcast, brought to you by Lee at Moto Australia. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Scott Meshi, number 411, and you're listening to the Always Moto Podcast. All right, guys and girls, joining us this week on the Always Moto Podcast, we are doing a bit of a check-in, a bit of a welfare check. The last time we were talking to him, he was on a golf course, but he's not swinging a club anytime soon. Uh, he's riding for the Team PRMX Partzilla Racing. It's the number 109. It's Aaron Tanty. How are we doing, Aaron? Hey, man. How are you? I'm... Um Doing pretty good, just sitting at home at the moment. So it's not yeah. where you want to be, mate. I, I gather at this point in the year, especially with that move that you just made to to the states. Um, the couch is not where you were going to be uh, a couple of weeks ago when you thought this was all looking for the season. Yeah, no, I was. Uh, yeah, I made the move over to the US in uh, you know mid December, and uh, yeah, got set up with the new team and <laughs> got riding, and unfortunately, just had a uh, nice little crash in the whoops and um, yeah, I had to unfortunately fly home and get surgery back home and 
do my rehab and stuff back here. Now, I'm not sure you can call that crash a small crash in the whoops, mate. I've seen that video. Yeah, okay, yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was quite a good one, but um, you know, I, I thought I survived it. I actually didn't think I had anything wrong with me, <laughs> which um, – because, yeah, yeah, like I, uh, like I was saying earlier, I, got, I went and got x-rays the following day and everything sort of checked out on the x-rays according to the, you know, the doctor there and even a few doctors I sent home. So, um, you know, I went about, went about my life for the next week, just being a little bit sore, a little bit swollen. Um, and, yeah, it wasn't until I think a week and a half, two weeks later, I actually jumped back on the bike when my body felt good and, you know, I could ride, but there was just a few little things on a supercross track that my arm would just pinch, and I was just like, "Oh man, there's something not right here." Yeah. So, yeah, some more checkups, and uh, it ended up showing up on a CT scan that I had a, you know, a decent fracture in there. So, kind of sucked. At least you went, and this is something that I, as the, as the physio talking now, you know, when I talk to clients and stuff. At least you paid enough attention to your body. You gave it a little bit of rest. You tried to do it again, and when it didn't work, you went, right, I've got to look into this a bit further and, and try it again. Lots of people get to that point and go, ah, it must just be me. I'm weak or I'm soft or whatever. Doctor said it's okay. The doctors can be wrong at times, and like you found out, that x-ray wasn't actually clear. It just needed a bit more, maybe a different person to look at it or a different angle or, or, or a better scan, and, and as you said, you went for a CT. So, yeah, it's... um. Glad you paid attention to these little cues along the way. Yeah, it was definitely, like you said, it was definitely a hard one, um, especially for me being in a different country. Um, I was trying to rely a lot on my contacts back home, you know, with FaceTime and stuff like that because it's really hard for an international over in the US to get sort of medical support. But, yeah, it was a really hard one for me because I was in the gym, I was – you know, rowing on the row, I was doing all that sort of stuff back in the gym. And I was like, sweet, all right. It was just actually, you know, it actually just took a hard beating. Um, and it just, yeah, just happened that just one movement on the bike where it must have just, I don't know, my arm sort of went in a certain spot and it just sort of clicked on the bone that was fractured. So, yeah, no um, yeah it was definitely a tough one to solo because it, was, it wasn't until – um, you know, Wednesday before A1 that I actually found out the full problem with what was going on. So what was the problem? What did you end up breaking there in the shoulder? Uh, so it's, it's something that probably a lot of people never heard of and I definitely had to use Dr. Google for this one, <laughs> but it was it's called your glenoid. Um, it's something that sits there in your shoulder socket and like from what I know just my humerus would have punched it when it took the impact and yeah just fractured it enough that it was you know it was apart so I needed a needed a surgery to get it fixed and just got a you know one screw in there to pull it together and um yeah now just on the recovery mode yeah, so that's look in the big scheme of things that that a fracture in that area, yeah, it's annoying, but yeah, it's easily repaired. So you know, not too bad in the story. At least it wasn't you didn't tear off all the rotator cuff with it, and then we're talking you know nine months or whatever of recovery. So yeah, you've gotten away with it fairly lightly in in the grand scheme of it. But um, how is the recovery? You said you had surgery what a week or so ago now. How how are you feeling? Are you off the pain meds? Are we still on those? What where are you at to? 
Uh, yeah, it was exactly a week ago on Wednesday, so it was a bit of a episode. Obviously, I found out just before A1, so there was a lot going on trying to figure out, you know, what I'm going to do, coming home, staying there to get surgery. But it just worked out that I was I just came home because I could get into, you know, Dr. Steve Andrews. He's, um, you know, he's looked after me before and does really well with surgeries. So I flew home Sunday night, got home Tuesday morning and pretty much walked straight into the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, recovery is going well. I'm pretty much just, I'm pretty much off the hardcore pain meds now, um, a week, a week deep. So I'm just taking Panadol and my anti-inflammatories and, um, yeah, getting on about it. I've pretty much started my physio now. Um, Good. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get that stiff shoulder in a sling for a while. So I've got a really good physio that looks after me and, um, yeah, we do things a little bit different than, you know, the average person would do um, sitting on the couch, I guess. They yeah, well, kind of would you're able to. You've got plenty of time, but to, you know, it's not like you're trying to get to the nine to five job as well as, you know, the recovery. So you can, you're probably getting a bit more of this attention a bit quicker and a bit sooner because you actually can probably pay attention to a few of these things a bit better being, you know, an athlete as such. Yeah, yeah, 100%. My focus right now is obviously get better and do it as good as possible and as fast as possible so we can be back you know i gotta i gotta try and be a little bit light right now because of my the scar i can't really go mega sweating right now but after Mm. another few days we can we can even get back into the cardio and doing all that sort of stuff you know just because my shoulder's out doesn't mean i can not do the rest of my body so no exactly you've got plenty of things you can work on still and maintain that so yeah out of curiosity you mentioned that the scar did he did you get a decent one or did you just get the couple little keyhole ones for the shoulder there uh no it's it's quite a decent one it sort of runs from the top of my arm across like just above my armpit across into my chest and i'd say it's for maybe six centimeters or a bit yeah, longer he's had to go in from that angle yeah i was curious yeah, how he would approach that one so yeah that's decent yeah it's a decent one i sort of just seen it i changed my dressing today and i sort of had a look and it's it's it's, it's as nice as it can be just cut through all my tattoos so. <laughs> <Bugger>. <laughs> yeah. oh well the tattoo will still be there just have some extra extra uh extra 3d work on it now so it's funny because Steve's like, yeah, I'll try and line them up as good as I can on the tattoos. I'm like, yeah, don't worry about that, man. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, he's, he, I've got, it's very funny that he's thinking about how his, tattoo, how his work's going to fit in with your tattoo. But, yeah, I appreciate that he's just got to do what he's got to do, you know. <laughs> so Yeah. Uh, so. Well, where are we up to then? Have we uh, Most bo- bike riders at this point, you've already planned out when you're going to be back. But, obviously, we've got to wait for some more medical information. But in a perfect world, have you got an idea of where you're going to be in a couple of weeks' time for, you know, on the bike racing as such? Or, or are we still waiting on that for you? Uh, so just off, you know, going off words and stuff like that, everything sort of went well, but you're right. Like it's sort of you've got to kind of have the two-week checkup kind of gives you a little bit more information. But at this stage it was looking at, you know, six weeks off the bike um, till we can jump back on and, you know, whether how strong my shoulder is, it, it's going to – I think when I spoke with my team before I left, we were just like – you know, when I come back, we'll do the riding and we'll go when I'm ready. So nice. whether, whether that is, you know, two, three weeks on the bike 
is enough to go racing. We we will see when we get there. But going off the time schedule, maybe me wanting to be back at the races, it should put me back around Daytona, around that area. So eight, nine, or ten, around eight, nine, or ten. I think that's not bad, really. Like you know, seventeen round series plus obviously all the rest, depending on if you're doing. Are you, is the plan for you with motocross and SMX there as well, or is it just the Supercross? Because, like, yes, you'll still probably have about seven or so races, which is decent. Um, but, yeah, is the rest of it in the cards as well? Because you you know, got to look into that with, with the whole recovery picture as well, don't you? Yeah, so, um, you know, we've definitely been talking. Uh, you know, the PRMX team over the past few years, they do the Canadian motocross series. Yep. But now that the um, Super Motocross has come in, they really want – most of their riders to qualify for that so i think they will do the canadian series with some of their riders but i believe we're talking about if we need the points to go race most of the motocross championship as well okay Um, which is something i'm happy about like i'm not complaining about that either way i'll be racing some sort of motocross but it's more likely to be the ama motocross to get the points for the super motocross yeah, that's I'd be pretty happy with that too if that worked out that way from from that side of it. That's always the the dream point of view, isn't it, to do all of them in in that, you know, series. So yeah, why not? Hopefully it works out that way. Well, look, Aaron, it, as much as it sucks that you're on the couch, we appreciate you talking to us. It's always the the conjecture point for us that we're we're calling you at a time that you probably don't want to hear from us, but we appreciate the update and I'm sure everybody else out there, they've heard about this stuff for yourself going on, but it's nice to hear it, you know, straight from the horse's mouth as they say. Yeah, yeah, I haven't really obviously I haven't really spoke to anyone because it's all sort of, you know, it happened all like I said, I didn't really find out the extent of my injury for like a week and a half, two weeks. And then when I did, I was like, oh, shit, i got to fly home. You know, I watched day one, jumped on a plane the next day, had surgery. And, you know, the first few days after uh, surgery are pretty rough. So, yeah. yeah, um, yeah now, now I'm chilling out and feeling better. I get back to things. And it's, um, yeah, it's always good to let the people know what actually happened rather than, you know, people talk around and <laughs> end up with some weird ass story that you, you you got amputated half your body or yeah. something. Yeah, 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 pretty much. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> people have obviously asked, you know, how long I'm going to be out for and stuff like that. And you know, like you said, when you hear shoulder injury, you like, well, what type of shoulder injury? But it just being bone is, I got away pretty, you know, lucky. Yeah, no, bones always a lot more. I say always, but you know, a bit generalised here. But yeah, they're, they're the ones that are more straightforward in the in usual sense. So, ideally, yeah. that's the case for you, and you can be back here, like you said, around that Daytona point, and hopefully staying out of the hospital because you've been in a few of them recently. So yeah, yeah, the end of the end of last year, and obviously now moving into the start of this year has been it's been pretty shitty. So. Um, it's just one of them things where you just hit the reset button now and we work hard these next six weeks to get my body 100% right and um, and then be back. Yeah, well, hopefully next time I message you, it's because you got a good result, not because I'm checking in about <laughs> which hospital you're in and what you've done, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's hope so. So, But um, yeah, like I said, we're going to work hard. The team's, team's really been really awesome. Um, I only got to do a few days really riding with them and hanging out with them and um you know i'm looking forward to being back i enjoyed 
the bike, um, you know, the bike they gave me straight away was it was really nice to ride. So I'm looking forward to getting back to that and doing some more time. No, sounds good. Well, look, Aaron, we appreciate your time here on the Always Moto podcast brought to you by Liet Moto Australia. Don't ride that couch too hard and hopefully you can be back on that team PRMX bike real soon. Thanks, mate. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hi there. My name is Eldon Baker and I'm from the Baker's Factory and you're listening to Always Moto. All right, guys and girls, joining us this week on the Always Moto podcast brought to you by Liet Moto Australia. He's a privateer rider in the AMA Supercross. He's unfortunately not on the track this year at this stage. It's the number 637 privateer Yamaha rider. It's Bobby Piazza. How are we doing, Bobby? Hey, what's up, man? I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing really well. Um, just always when I do these intros, I sort of end up in the same spot. It, usually we're talking to you guys at a bad time in, in, uh, in the riding side of things from, a, from an injury aspect, and unfortunately that's the case for yourself. You're not on the gates these first few rounds for, for Supercross in 2024. Yeah, man, I'm kind of bummed about it, honestly. Uh, I got hurt uh, around uh, October, like Halloween-ish, and... Um, yeah, I tore my Achilles and I'll be out for probably like six months. Yeah, it's not a short recovery time for those ones, is it? It's a bit of a process. Now, when did um, we, did you get surgery done quickly afterwards or was it a bit of a process there as well to get that sorted out initially? Um, yeah, it was kind of a process. I had surgery around like three weeks after I actually did it. I was um, debating whether to go surgical or non-surgical. But I ended up getting the surgery for it, and yeah, I got the surgery on November 17th, so about now two months out of surgery. Okay, so that puts us somewhere around that that April-May mark for your five, six months sort of time frame. Have you, have you lined anything up at that point, or are you just waiting to see how this process with the recovery goes? Um... I mean, I would like to get out there sooner than later, you know, <laughs> but as of right now, no, nothing's lined up. Um, just taking it day by day, trying to get uh, my recovery good. And yeah, as of right now, it's going good. And I just started w- almost walking normally again. Still got a little limp, but it's going good. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the main bit. If you're up and around and able to do sort of those general day-to-day tasks without a, without a crutch, without a, you know, moon boot on the foot, that's usually a start, a starting sign that you're getting back to normal. Yeah, it's tough though, man. It's definitely a tough injury. And um, yeah, like you said, it takes a little while to heal. So it'll come around sooner or later. Yeah, it'll get there. It's just time, mate. But um, So how did we end up in this situation? Like we've obviously had a few, it seems like a lot of Achilles injuries in, in the recent 12 months in, in Supercross and Motocross, but... It's been around, like, it's been injuries of that nature in the past. It's just obviously more prevalent with the higher profile Eli Tomac getting one, um, you know, without crashing as such. Were, were you in a similar situation or did you have a different sort of incident to, to get to this point with the injury? Well, the start of it, <clears throat> I started uh, riding Supercross and training for Supercross around the beginning of October. I was trying to get ahead on the game and just try to be ready for this season, you know. I was My goal was to make a couple main events and, uh, yeah, come out swinging, you know. But, um, yeah, two weeks into it, I uh, I probably had about 500 or more laps logged in already. I was feeling good already and uh, just I was hitting a rhythm. It was like a triple, 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 triple rhythm. And, 
Yeah, I went triple, 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 and on the third triple, I might have landed just a little deep, and as I landed, the G-force just, yeah, I don't know if I, like, had my toes too far back on the peg or whatever, but, yeah, landed in the pocket and then just popped my Achilles. I didn't even crash. Um, yeah, man, it's kind of a bummer. It sounds, in that sense, it sounds similar to that Eli situation of just going a little long in the rhythm section and, yeah, the, the force is just, just caught up with you at that point. Um, so, yeah, that's it's unfortunate. It's never fun when you get a decent injury and you didn't even crash the bike to have a decent story to tell. Yeah, I know. Like, literally, as I landed, I, I already knew what happened. My leg, like, uh, I've heard the pop. Honestly, I thought it was my boot that, like, you know, the Tech 10s have, like, the thing in the back that slide up and down. I yes. thought that just popped out of my boot. And I looked down, and I saw my boot was fine, and I'm just like, oh, no. And then all of a sudden, my leg, like, turned on, like, went on fire. And um, then right away, I knew I, I popped my Achilles, and then I went to the hospital after that. Got an x-ray. actually broke my ankle in two spots also. So popped Achilles, broken ankle, and, yep, out for six months. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, that's not, not cool that you got the fractures as well to go with it. So you mentioned too at the beginning of this that you're talking about maybe a non-surgical option. Did you get a complete rupture of the, ace, of the um, Achilles tendon or was it like, a, you know, three quarters or something? Was there still some part of it intact? No, it was a complete rupture. Um, but the doctor said, uh, uh, we went back and forth on it. He said it's pretty much the same like equivalent um like turnout for the healing process down the road but but he said uh might as well just go surgical since i'm still young and i'm still gonna try to keep racing you know so yeah well that's the other part of this is that you're gonna obviously go back to or or wanting to go back to competitive athletic performance you know so you need it to be as good as it can be and that extra bit of stitching in there is probably going to help hold it together particularly initially when you first get back into it so yeah i'm probably glad that you went that surgical route if if i'm honest with my my physio hat on yeah exactly and then after the surgery he said uh glad we did it because it wasn't looking pretty inside it's pretty all stretched (laughs) out like I guess he cut like both ends of the tendon and then uh, just cleaned it up, sewed it back together. I have a few pictures on my Instagram uh, of it. Yeah, check no. it out also. It's um, it's there's, they're never pretty those things when they when they get work done. Is it is it starting to thin out or is it still quite swollen in the back? Because usually that tendon point is a bit thicker um, for quite yeah. a while afterwards compared to your other yeah. side. Yeah, like the bottom of it near my heel, it's like uh, pretty thin, and then it gets real thick going yeah. up yeah but yeah a, it's, it's, it's pretty thin yeah, it's going down now i've been massaging it and trying to work it in but yeah it's definitely getting better no that's good man so um any changes for you like obviously this was a bit of a you know um random situation just go long on a jump um anything that you've thought about since that point that you you're going to change or tweak in terms of you know bike setup gear setup anything like that to try and avoid this or do you think it's a freak accident and just put it down to that and moving on um yeah definitely just a freak accident like i said didn't even crash i i barely honestly over jumped the jump like i said i had laps on laps and i did the rhythm hundreds and hundreds of times before it happened um yeah i guess i just uh i don't know i guess my attendant just was weak or like i said my foot was too far in the peg and it just popped it but i don't know i was thinking maybe if i can get 
um, healed up in time, maybe hit the last few East Coast or something. Maybe, uh, I don't know, I, have a, I, was gonna, I was planning on riding 450 class. I was thinking about maybe getting a 250 and doing some of the 250 East. Maybe the ending of it. I don't know. We'll see. It depends how I'm feeling, healing up. Yeah. But if not, um, maybe just call it the season and maybe try to do a few outdoors. I'm not sure yet. We'll see how it's going. Yeah, obviously you got that little bit of time yet um, and probably a lot more time in the gym to go to try and get to that point. So you have to have to gauge how it's coming along come, you know, beginning of April, I guess, would be where you can start making these decisions. But um yeah, it's a bit of a bummer deal and obviously not fun that it's a, a decent time out of the sport. Yeah, especially Supercross. That's like the the thing in our sport, you know. Everybody wants to race Supercross, be under the lights in the stadium. It's a bummer, but shit happens. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, look, Bobby, we appreciate your time here on the Always Moto podcast brought to you by Liat Moto Australia. We hope you get this recovery done quickly and we can see you back on track here, maybe at the end of the 2024 Supercross season. Um, at worst, 2025, mate. But um, yeah, look, heal up and uh, hopefully everything goes smoothly from here. Awesome, man. It was definitely a pleasure talking to you and uh, I appreciate everything. Thank you. No worries. Thanks, Bobby. What's up, guys? Kevin Moran's here, and you're listening to the Always Moto Podcast. All right, guys and girls, joining us this week on the Always Moto Podcast, brought to you by Liat Moto Australia. He's an Aussie boy that's headed over to the US, uh, and he's riding for, or uh, being helped out by the team PRMX, um, Kawasaki there. He's also wearing that hostile handwear gear. It's the number 275 of Travis Olander. How are we doing, Travis? Yeah, good, mate, good. That's nice to be on here. Yeah, appreciate your time. It's always nice to catch up with some some Aussie guys that have made the trip over to the US and you know trying to live the dream, run a couple of AMA Supercrosses. It's uh, pretty exciting, I bet. Yeah, it's so exciting. It's also a bit nerve wracking going there with all the riders you look up to and everything like that. It's just crazy. Yeah, I, I bet. I, I haven't actually done like that side of things. I've been to America plenty of times and ridden on their tracks, but I've never done anything like that, of that level of riding out there and seeing, you know, Tomac in the, in the same, um, you know, uh, riders meeting and, and uh, in gear in the tunnel and stuff might be a little bit off-putting, I would, I would suspect, for the, at least the first time. Yeah, it's just, it shows you how good those riders are. Like, you go to the track and you're there, test track, and it's like, oh, it's not too bad. You get to the race, and then they start pulling out these massive rhythms. You're like, you give them more credit than what you see on TV. You're like, man, these guys can ride so good. Yeah, I bet that realisation starts to kick in pretty quick at that point, especially when you're like, yeah, I've just got the double in that section. Yeah, and they're like doing quads, and oh, it's just crazy what they do, and they do everything like second lap. It's so much different to Australia. Yeah, well, on that. So, what are the differences? Like, you've obviously done the Aussie series this past year, just gone. Um, how different is it for you? Like, obviously, size and, and number of rounds and that sort of things. But, you know, speak on some of the differences for us. Oh, just like the steepness of the track and everything. Like, everything's so steep. You've got to be exact or you what I did at the first round, go down. Like, if you're not... On the money, you are going to a big one. Like, everything's massive. The triple ends are so much bigger than you think. Like, even the double ends, you got to give it some juice. And these guys are going threes and fours. It's just crazy. 
So even like Marvel Stadium probably is the one of our biggest events that we have um, in Australia most recently that you would have done. Compared to that, like we're talking bigger than than that track build? Um, way bigger. Maybe yeah, right. nearly double that, double that easy. And they've got like the whoop sections are five more whoops more and just the rhythms are you'd add another triple or so in. It's just crazy. Yeah. Okay. So as they say, everything's bigger in America. <laughs> Definitely holds true. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So why for yourself, why this year did you decide to go over and have a crack at these AMA Supercross rounds? Oh, it was kind of just like, oh, we, we can go over there right now, like all that, everything lined up and we're like, oh, we'll give it a crack and it was just everything kind of worked out and so we come over and gave it a test and now we're here where we are. Did you have the, to – Sorry, go on. Oh, we're just doing the first four rounds and then going back home and starting the motocross over in Australia. Yeah, nice. And did it did, did it sort of line up like you're on the Husky at the end of last year for the Australian Supercross and you're on the Cowie at the moment for the AMA stuff? Did it line up that you're sort of in between like rides and stuff or did it, you did not have any sort of contracts that were sort of holding you back as well? Oh, yeah, nothing really, nothing signed. I've got nothing right now. It's kind of still privateer, but just uh, PRMX uh, gave us a helping hand, give us a bike that they raced last year and all that kind of stuff. And we're like, yeah, sweet. Bike's basically brand new. Just that was kind of the only way we could and like one of the cheaper options, like trying to get over here. So instead of buying a brand new bike and then you got to try and get motor work and all that, this was kind of the best way to go to it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, you already, you know, got a bit of a leg up there. The the bike price plus all the build and parts and you don't know people as easily over there to get it done and get it done in a hurry too. I'm assuming, yeah. you know, you've got a short space of time you're trying to work in here to get to that first round. Yeah, like we are struggling to get jersey prints and everything. Like it was just a stress, but... Yeah, a couple of people from back home and PowerMax, they helped out a lot trying to get everything sorted, especially for that first round. But we got it all sorted and, yeah, I'm kind of happy we did. Yeah, well, somewhat happy. The The outcome of the yeah, first round, not happy. so good. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I was riding good. I just – it was such a big step from what we were riding in Australia. Like, come here and everything's – deep everything's high like it's just crazy i think i was caught a little bit off guard going into that first round and kind of pushed a bit too hard than what i was capable of and then i unfortunately went down so yeah yeah now how is that how is that injury for yourself how are we doing it was a bit of a chest um bruising swelling how, how's everything yeah, so, like, um, it's, it's still a bit sore now when I ride. Like, get a couple laps in, adrenaline and pump, and it kind of goes away. But, like, it's not too bad. It only hurts when I'm not riding. If It sounds silly, but, yeah, if I'm not hitting the ground or nothing, it feels all right when I'm on the bike. Yeah, the funny part of it, it's not really funny about that because obviously everybody who's listening probably has ridden at some point, but you know that when you're sitting around doing nothing, you've got time to think about it. But as soon as you get on the bike, you've got so many other things coming at you that you're not yeah. paying attention to the pain that is probably still there. It's just in the back of your mind. Yeah, it's just like you're coming into a rhythm lane, you're not really thinking about the pain, you're more thinking about going three in and all that and focusing on the gears and all that. So I think, yeah, that just skips like my mind during riding, yeah. 
So what's the plan? You were saying before we hit record here, you've had a couple of, like today and maybe a day or so before that on the bike. Um, how, how are we looking? Are we going to be heading to San Diego this weekend or are we we're not quite ready yet? So it's kind of, we're not too sure yet. Like first day on the bike was kind of not the best. Like I had a couple crashes and just wasn't feeling myself or just making silly mistakes. So I'm not sure about how I'm feeling so I have to see at the end of this week if I will be going like I'm pretty sure we're signed up to go but it's kind of just a guessing game to see how I'm feeling because I don't want to go in there not feeling 100% or you'll go down again yeah no definitely it's obviously a bit of mindset there to make sure that you can um you know cope with the day mentally not just physically so yeah you've got to be ready in both aspects on that side of things and obviously we're recording too it's tuesday um evening in in the states so you've still got a couple of days to make the decision yeah it's tuesday about nearly five o'clock so it's trying to get everything prepared like still kind of second guessing if we are going so we're still getting some things prepared for the weekend and all that so it's just trying to get everything sorted so where are you staying in the States at the moment? I'm Like somewhere in Southern California? Uh, yeah, just uh, I think it's Marietta. So yep. we're just staying there. All the tracks are kind of closed. So you got like Hemet Supercross tracks, like about 30, 40 minutes away. And then you got um, Lake Elsinore is about 20. And then I think Fox is about 40 or 30 minutes away. So they're all kind of not too far, pretty close for where we are. And how, everything's around here. How's yeah. that for you compared to at home in terms of like you got those three tracks, three probably you know decent supercross tracks prepped and everything, not too far away from you. I, I gather it's a bit bit of a um, kid in a candy store situation. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. Like you go to Lake Elsinore and it's just like out the back of some suburb, and I'm like, you'd never have this in Australia. You got full motocross tracks, like literally 150, 200 meters from like. A, a house and you're like man if you had that in australia there'd be noise complaints left right and center yeah i have been to that one it's it is pretty close but they used to have one at star west um and literally it was like on a block and the other side of the road was the houses and they'll just looking straight onto it and it was there for years it's gone now i believe but um yeah they do have a different different way about it in terms of um their thinking with that side of things if it was there first it's usually not a complaint which is not the way it's done in australia it seems yeah, I know. It's just everything's so close to everywhere. Like even people's backyards, like you see little people have little 110 pit bike tracks everywhere and you're like, man, you could never get away with this in Australia. <laughs> so off topic, I didn't didn't prep you for this one, but what's been the uh, what's been the favourite food or, or choice of restaurant since you've been in, the, in California there? Because I've got a few favourites myself, oh. but what have you been hitting up with there? Oh, I- I tried a couple of the takeaways because why not? Yep. <laughs> my favourite one would be like the Chick-fil-A. Like that's good. Not good for you, but it tastes mad. I'll throw it. Yep. So what else have we tried? Anything else? Have you been to – I'm assuming uh, you've been to an In-N-Out. Yeah, I've been to there. That was all right. It wasn't too special, nothing too special. But, yeah, I've been there – Carl's Jr., all that kind of stuff. Some of it's starting to come to Australia, so, mm. yeah, but there's nothing really special except, like, you got this restaurant, it's called Sonic. It's like a fast food thing, and they're all the people that come out and bring your food out are all on rollerblades and that. Yep. So that's pretty weird, but that's about it. We didn't really try much here. I've just been having 
home cooked meals, but that's about it. So if you uh, you obviously you haven't hit then a, a Panda Express or a um, uh, Chipotle or um, the other ones that sort of come to mind, the more restaurant is the you know your Denny's, nah, your Olive Gardens, and that. Nah, no, nah, I've seen a couple of them, but ah. Uh, I don't like going in there and they're just scooping it all onto your <laughs> yeah, burrito a, or whatever. It kind of looks a bit a, rank when they're like scraping the top hard layer away to get, oh, my, like, yep, yeah, nah, that ain't me. <laughs> Fair enough. It's probably a bit touch and go at this point. You want to be uh, not fighting food poisoning if you're heading to the race, you know, in a couple of days' time. So, yeah, probably best to stay away from that until maybe after the last one. Then you can go nuts and see what happens. So it's only a plane ride yeah. home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fair enough. Now – um, quickly too, just on this, uh, we are talking about a little bit before we hit record, but obviously you've done the Australian Supercross. To go and do the American Supercross, a lot of the, the junior guys and that have to do their future system to get into the, you know, the pro license side of things. What did you have to do to get that being an international rider? So because I am an international rider, it was kind of a bit more simpler than that. Like it's still hard getting all your licenses and that. So I just had to get like a, FIM international license and then you just kind of um, like put an application in saying you want to race and then because we race over in Australia and I have like um, in a sense a pro card like race nationals or whatever, yep. they kind of just you wait a little bit and they accept it and you just come over and if you qualify you get to like race like basically you do the qualifying and practices and if you make the nacho you, you make the nacho. It's not super duper complicated like but the hardest part's just trying to do all the paperwork and that and get all that stuff sorted. So that's that, mainly the hardest part. Did you have to do all that yourself or did anyone at like MA help out with that side of things or did they just basically send you the forms and say, you know, go for it? Yeah, um, I don't know if it was like we got any help off MA because it's more just my mum and dad kind of sorted yeah. it all, but... It was more just contacting, like, the FIM and the AMA, like, licensed people. I don't even know what they call them. But, yeah, just the headquarters over in America and that, just trying to kind of get all the paperwork and applications and all that sorted. And then as soon as we had that done, it was basically just sign up and go racing. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, no, look, that sounds somewhat easy at least for the international guys and um, hopefully more people can – get to it because yeah it's a pretty cool thing to go and do at least once in in the time that you're racing professionally so glad you're doing it are you going to be trying to do this again next year or the year after or just make it a regular annual Uh, thing oh not too sure yet i am kind of hoping i can go back next year it's like a lot of money for everything trying to get over here and if you don't have a bike over here it's going to cost so much money so it's just trying to sort all that stuff so Hopefully I can come over a bit earlier next year because I only had basically two rides on the bike before I went to A1, so kind of not fully prepared of what we were doing. But hopefully if I can come back next year, kind of come a month or two earlier and kind of get a fair bit of time on the bike before we just hop straight into the deep end, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, you've obviously now got that experience, so you can um, make some tweaks on how you do it the next time around and hopefully be a bit better prepared and all that sort of thing, so yeah. Yeah, I was kind of caught a bit off guard going into round one, seeing how big everything is, like 
even the finish line jump was massive over the start straight. I was like walking the track going, holy crap, this thing's massive. <laughs> Not what you want to be thinking about when you're walking the track and you've got to go and race it in <laughs> half an hour sort of thing. So, But you've done it now. Next yeah. one will be a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah, next time I will kind of hopefully breeze it in. Yeah. Hopefully the finish line, but then you get to the rhythms and then and everything's massive there and you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> freaking out. Uh, it won't be that bad. Once you're on the bike, it always, I say to my kids are at that point where they're sort of learning and riding some of these tracks and I always say to them, it looks bigger when you're walking it. When you get on the bike, it's not so bad. So you got to be in that frame yeah. of mind when you're looking at this shit too. Yeah. The funny thing is like you walk it and you're like, oh, it's not too bad. You get on the bike and then you're like, oh, crap, this looks even bigger than I, when I walked the track. So it's like, that's how big everything is. Oh, fair enough. Well, look, it's an experience you won't forget. But um, look, we appreciate yeah. some time here on the Always Moto podcast brought to you by Leap Moto Australia. Um, hopefully that injury lets you get out to San Diego. We'll be checking those timesheets and we'll see if you're there or not. Um, hopefully it's a mellower track and you can uh, get into it and get amongst it. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping I get to it like, it is nerve wracking and you also like mentally got to be prepared for it, kind of racing all those like top guys over there and even qualifying with them. You just, if you're not there mentally, I wouldn't kind of go because then I don't think you will last the day, but see how we go and hopefully I can be mentally and physically prepared for the next round. Yeah, sounds good, mate. Well, look, good luck. Um, we'll uh, keep an eye on the results list and um, do your best when you get there. All right, too easy. Thank you. Thanks, Travis. Hey, I'm Bubba Pauly from the madparts.com Kawasaki Supercross race team, and you're listening to the Always Moto podcast. All right, guys and girls, we are back. Thanks for sticking around on the Always Moto podcast, brought to you by Liat Moto Australia and Pivot Pegs. Don't forget to check out all of those uh, social pages for us and for the sponsors. You need to be following all those things um, just to stay up to date with the sport as best you can. Now, those interviews we've just been listening to, they're Aaron Tanti, um, Team PRMX, Bobby Piazza, Privateer Yamaha, and Travis Olander, um, Hostile Handwear, PRMX supported um, you know, Privateer Kawasaki there as well. Um, awesome to have all three of those guys on this week's show. Um, hopefully we can keep up that sort of rate of interviews. It's been awesome to have those chats with all of those guys. And that info that we brought you earlier in the show with the, you know, the check-ins there from um, Star Racing, Yamaha and Club MX. So we're obviously doing the right things. We're getting some more contacts in the sport, which is awesome. Um, but it's nice to have that insight direct from those riders and from those teams as well. So thanks to those guys for being a part of the Always Moto podcast. Now let's look ahead to this weekend at round three for the Supercross. It's at San Diego. It's at Snapdragon Stadium. The racetrack there is a, another football field style um, uh, event. Now, we've had the first two have been baseball stadiums. This is the first one for 2024, but that's basically the two sort of shapes that you'll get in the AMA side of things other than Daytona, which is at the Speedway. But this one is uh, an open stadium. It's also potentially from a weather side of things. I've had a look at the weather. It is a 12 to 18 degrees Celsius um, temperature range, and there's a 50% chance of light rain. So, you know, hopefully it's not San Francisco again but there is a chance of some showers. So there might be a change to those programs to keep that track covered a little longer. You have to check that on the morning of the event. Now, speaking of the event and the times of it running, 
If you're in Australia, this next round is going to be on Sunday the 21st that you'll be watching the coverage. Race Day Live is going to start from the east coast of Australia from the New South Wales side of things. It's going to start at 7am. Racing is from 12.30pm. Now, I dare say that's going to be, again, an inclusion of a 30-minute pre-show, which is cool. So around 1 o'clock, you want to be in front of the TV, ready to watch Heat 1 of the 250s. So that is the updates. That's our show. Thanks again for you guys and girls out there for listening. Don't forget to send those T-shirt orders in. We need you to buy the small T-shirts from us. Email us at info at alwaysmoto.com. Follow us on the social medias to stay up to date with all things moto. Search Always Moto, follow and subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast feed if you haven't already. Please do so. And if that podcast app allows, rate us. And if you're listening on Spotify, there's usually a question. Answer the question about the show. Maybe there's a poll sort of thing going. Maybe there's just a question. Answer it for us and that will help us engage with you and keep this show bringing more listeners in, which means more and more content. All right, don't forget to check out all of the written articles as well that we do over on fullnoise.com.au. Thanks to those guys for supporting our efforts in the media there. Um, Gary at fullnoise.com.au is an awesome support for us um, and helps us get into a few of these things. So really appreciate their support. So make sure you're looking at fullnoise.com.au as your favorite website for moto information. But that's it for another show. Thanks to Lit Moto Australia, Pivot Pegs, Competitive Edge Performance, Slant Board Guy, Endurance Recovery Boots, and Tech 167 3D Printing for all the show support. Thanks to those Fantasy League sponsors, Coastal Motorcycle Centre and Helltech Australia. Thanks for you guys and girls out listen- there for listening. Thanks for the wife and kids for letting me get this done yet again this week. Uh, they're on school holiday, so it's been a bit of a challenge this week. Um, remember, you've got to be smooth to be fast because if you're not, I'll probably be seeing you deep in the emergency department, maybe even the clinic having strapping tape thrown wherever it will stick. <laughs>